0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org alam that's hdfund.org slash Qalam, Q-A-L-A-M to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Amin. Ya Rabbi Al Amin. wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. From the podcast team at Golem, we wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month, you
1: can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras, and khutbas, all from our new campus. Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakum Allah Khairun for listening.
0: Many of the Medina Muslims were young people. Young people. When people would come to Medina, they would be a little bit even taken aback and astonished by the youthfulness of the gathering in the masjid of the Prophet and the people sitting around the Messenger. In the Musnad of Al Bazar, uh, Imam Al Bazar in his Musnad, there's a narration that talks about how there used to be almost constantly like 20 youngsters constantly almost kind of like following the Prophet around everywhere he went. And the 20 is said to be like a minimum, right? Or somebody kind of looking and guesstimating, there's probably like you know two dozen, but basically, the idea is that there was just this crowd of young people that were just constantly with the Prophet ﷺ everywhere he went. So thalaba was one of those young people and he specifically amongst the young people, he used to do what we call in the Arabic language khidma. He would serve the messenger ﷺ, almost like a personal assistant. He would run his errands. He would, you know, grab his water bottle. He would run errands for him. He would, you know, get up and get whatever the Prophet needed. But he was always there in the service of the Prophet
1: So, in his service of the Prophet ﷺ, this was again the relationship he had. And sometimes, one of the things that happens when you have like an esteemed relationship, especially when you're, you know, friends with the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, you can imagine... That level, but when you have people that you look up to, and um, they're like a fixture in your life, like a Musa, they're like a fixture in your life. Um, You have a greater than normal uh, fear of disappointing them. So you know when you disappoint somebody, of course, there's obviously always the standard, like universal disappointment that you don't want to be someone who is embarrassing to yourself or to others. But then imagine now you have a relationship with somebody, and this person is somebody that you love and you revere, you admire, you know, and, and at the status of a messenger, of, and, and at the status of a messenger of Allah, the final messenger of God, who's receiving revelation, you know, at any minute, at any point. And so, so what happens as a result of that? The reason why I'm saying this is because what happens as a result of that is that the stakes are much higher. And the reason why when we make du'a we talk about the Prophet in our du'a's is because we have to emphasize to ourselves that we are in really, really important company. And that the, the the stakes of our mistakes are much higher than anybody else. Right? If you know someone that's at a high level, it's different than not knowing anybody at that level. And so Thalaba felt a sense of, you know, delicacy, delicacy with his soul, with his heart. Oh God. Um, Hey, Baba. Okay, remember? we're in the masjid. Okay, all right, good. So, what happens, and now um, it begins. And so, what happens is that one day Tha'alaba is on his way, sort of doing his errands for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the narration says, "Imra'atum min al-Ansar, <laughs> tirtasil, wa khaf an yunazil al-Wahi, yunazil al-Wahi 'ala Rasulullahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam bi sanaa." that he saw a woman and he happened to see like, you know, the bathrooms back then were not like constructed bathrooms that we have now where there's like drywall and things like that. It was just basically if someone were to take a bath, it was kind of like an outhouse. And there might be like a blanket or a cloth that was like the door. And so it says that he saw, he happened to see a woman and the the sheet or the blanket or the door of the outhouse blew open. And as a result of that, Uh, you know, she was exposed very momentarily and his eyes just coincidentally happened to see that. So what happened next, it says that he feared that Wahi would now be sent down upon the Prophet about what happened. Meaning that he he was afraid that what I have done is going to be like documented and Allah Ta'ala is going to send down now this, you know, uh, scolding of the companion who you know, saw what he should not have seen, maybe my eyes, you know, should I have been looking down, was it my mistake? Thalabah was from a personality type that was very uh, cautious and very stern with himself, which some people here might have. There's two, you know, when it comes to the scholars of Tazkiyah, they say that there's two kinds of personalities. They're the ones that are like, oh, Allah will always forgive me no matter what I do, and then there's the, oh, Allah will never forgive me no matter what I do. Right? No matter how much I ask.
0: So. And... Interestingly, just to kind of interject where Ustad just mentioned this, Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala was the most fascinating person. Mm. He said that if there was an announcement made on the Day of Judgment that only one person is going to paradise, I'd hope that'd be me. I'd be like, yeah, I got this, inshallah. And if the announcement was made that everyone's going to paradise except for one person who's going to anar, the fire of hell, I'd be afraid that it was me so he was like the most fascinating person. So it
1: says that he left then and he covered his face and he ran and he resided in a mountain that was found between Mecca and Medina, meaning he left the city you know Mecca and Medina are a few hours apart so he left the city like he, he, he straight up left a long way and went into one of those mountains if you've ever been for Umrah you know that the the bus ride or the train ride now all you see in between Mecca and Medina are mountains so he just went and he lived in one of those mountains and so the narration then jumps back to Medina, and it says that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi noticed that he was gone for about forty days. And so Jibreel Salam he comes down to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and he said that uh, there is a person from your Ummah, O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi that Allah Taala is sending his salam to this person. Allah Ta'ala wants to uh, you know, ex- extend peace to this person. And he described and he said that this person is living in the mountains, between the two mountains. He described him. So the Prophet ﷺ was you know, taken aback by this description. He was, he was unsure like, which companion of mine lives in mountains. Like I, you know, I can't think of it off the top of my head. So what does he do? He calls Umar an, he calls Salman an, and he says what? Go, to the mountains and look for Tha'laba. I think that's who he's talking about. Because I haven't seen him for a long time. Go look for Tha'laba. I haven't seen him for a long time. So the two of them, Umar and Salman they went to the mountains and they started to look and they found some shepherds. So you know shepherds are kind of like the gossip kings of the mountains. Right? They know everything. Because again, they're there. They're just shepherding. Like what do you do with a bunch of sheep? You just kind of look at everything. So they knew what was going on. They saw people who came up the mountain, who went down the mountain, like where people were going. You know, you bump into caravans, travelers. So they asked them, they said to the, uh, to the shepherds, have you guys seen a person, he's a young man, and he is, you know, kind of living between these two areas, between this mountain and that mountain. And they said, yeah, we have seen a young person, and he is, uh, you know, between these two uh, mountains. And they said that, you know, we noticed that his face was covered, and he looked... Like Basically, he looked like he was in a mess. He looked like he was in bad shape. So, Umar, he mentions, he says, you know, the, the, the says Yes, 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 there we go. SubhanAllah. He says, <laughs> That's how they described him. They said, Oh, do you mean the guy who said he's running from hellfire? Like that's how he was describing himself to people. That's all the shepherds knew. They weren't describing him. They were repeating what they heard. That this guy is running from hellfire, subhanallah. So, uh sorry, my daughter is on my little scroll. So then uh they said, "Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one." How do you and they said, "Wait, how does he know? How do you know that he is running from Jahannam? What do you mean?" And uh they said, "He only comes out in the middle of the night and he comes down from the mountains." And uh at that moment, all he does is basically like cry out. the The only time that we see him is in the middle of the night. He stays up there all day long, and then he comes down during the during the, the darkness of the evening, when nobody can 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 see him. And all we see him is you know Yunadi. He just he just calls out and cries, right? It says
0: Wadi Wadi An He has like his hands on top of his head, like exasperated, like this and he's crying and screaming. Hey. Hey, he has his hands on his head like Musa. this okay, and start. he's crying and screaming in the middle of the night, in the mountains, in the wilderness. Like, Try to imagine that scene. Like it's a dark still night and it's just nobody's there. There's not a soul in sight. And you see this young man, he's got his hands on his head like this and he's just crying and screaming like this. Like, You'd think, you think he was crazy. Until you hear what he's saying. Right? He's eloquent. Hmm. He says that I wish that my soul would just be taken away, and that my body would become dust with the bodies in the ground, and that I would be spared from the reckoning before God. Right? So he's just saying that over and over again, crying in the middle of the night to himself with his hands on his head. SubhanAllah.
1: So he comes down from the mountain, and Omar says, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely the one we're talking about. And he goes, Iyahu or Nurid, sorry, like that's the one that we want. So they waited for him there, and all of a sudden, فَلَمَّا كَانَ فِي جَوْفِ اللَّيْلِ عَلَيْهِمْ مِن بَيْنِ الْجِبَالِ وَاضِعًا يَدَهُ عَلَى like the same description. He comes down from the mountain, he's got his hand on his head, just looks exasperated, absolutely just in a, in a mess. And he calls out and he says, oh, like my, my destruction. Like I wish I were done. I wish my soul would be taken. I wish that my, my body would just be, you know, obliterated from the earth. And he basically just, you know, continues the, 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 the self sort of um, accountability, the really deep level of accountability. So then Omar... Uh, he, he calls upon him And he says to him Yeah, he, he grasps him And he says, what? Did you not hear that the Prophet uh Oh no, he says Did the Prophet uh Come to know about my sin? Like, is the Prophet Wasallam aware now? He's convinced that this is going to be Something that's, that's uh, revealed So he sees Omar Omar comes and grabs him And what's his, men- his mental state? Up, yep, Quran came down about the companion that went and saw, you know, accidentally you know, saw something he shouldn't have seen. And so Omar says, no, that's, I know nothing about that. that. I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, rather, the Prophet ﷺ, he remembered you and he mentioned you yesterday. And he wanted to see you, so he sent me and Salman. And in, literally as a search party for you. The Prophet ﷺ wanted to see you.
0: He, in one narration, he mentions, Fabakar mm, Rasulullah. Oh,
1: yeah, that doesn't say here?
0: Yeah, that one other narration mentions that when Umar comes and hugs him and grabs him to kind of calm him down, and Umar says, You'll be okay, you'll be okay. And he says, Oh, who are you? He says, I'm Umar. Stop, stop. So he says, Like Ustad mentioned, that the Prophet knows what I did, and he goes, I don't know about that, except the Prophet mentioned you yesterday, Fabakar Rasulullah. The Prophet remembered you yesterday, and he started to cry for you. The Prophet cried for you. Habibi, what are you talking about? And then it goes on.
1: So he says, so then Omar, uh, uh, basically, sorry, my daughters, Omar takes him back. They, they take him back and they say, come with us, the Prophet sallallahu He asked you, come with us and we will have you take, you meet the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu he said, uh, Ya Omar, ya Salman, ma fa'ala tha'laba? He says, what happened to uh, fa'laba? Tha'laba? And they said that here he is, the Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, he stood up when he saw, and he went and he saw Tha'laba, and he greeted him, and he said, مَا غَيْبُكَ عني? Like, what kept you from me? Where'd you go? Why'd you disappear from me? Right? This is somebody he saw all the time. So Tha'laba responded, he said, my sins, Ya Rasulullah. be Ya Rasulullah. Then he said, did it, the verse not come down to you about the erasure of all sins and mistakes? Tha'laba said, Of course, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet sallam, he quoted the, uh, uh, the famous du'a, Fid Dunya Wa Fil Akhirati Wa The famous du'a that we should say, which is, Oh Allah, grant me goodness in this life, and grant me goodness in the next life, and save me from the punishment of the fire. So, uh, Tha'laba then says to the Prophet Sallallahu Ya Rasulullah, No, my sin is really big. Like that du'a would not be enough for it. He says, "Then be out Ya Rasulullah." It's too big. Uh, and the Prophet says back to him, "Bel, kalam Allah, Allah out oh No, your sin's not big. The speech of Allah is great, right? Your sin's not great. The speech of Allah is great. So he uh, he then he says that uh, they 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 went about their day, they turned about their day, and they went back to their different places. And all of a sudden, فَمَرَدَ الثَّالِبَ ayyam and became very ill, very sick for a few days. So Salman came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Rasulullah, have you seen Tha'laba? Have you heard about him? Uh, it looks like he's not doing very well. Like it looks like things are not going well. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Okay, let's uh, let's go to him. Come with me, let's go to meet him. So they go and they enter upon the house of Tha'laba. And fa-akhadha ra'sahu, fa-wada'ahu, uh, في حجره, SubhanAllah The Prophet sallam, took his Tha'laba's head he's laying there sick he's got a fever and he took Tha'laba's head and he laid it right on his lap oh. he sat down and crossed his legs and he put Tha'laba's head right in his lap and uh, you know he leaned over and he said <laughs> sorry we have two different narrations." so
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh okay SubhanAllah So then Tha'laba even like leaned in into so, the
0: so this narration mentions, after the Prophet ﷺ put Tha'laba's head in his, in his lap, like to show him love, Tha'laba removed his head from oh, the leg yeah, of yeah, the Prophet yeah. He mm. took his head off the leg of the Prophet and put his face on the ground. The Prophet ﷺ said, Why would you take your head? Yeah. Why would you take your head out of my lap? He said, Ya Rasulullah, Innahu minad-dhunubi said, my head is full of sins. My head is full of sins. You're the messenger of Allah. فَقَالَ I
1: feel
0: like He's,
1: there's ants biting me between my skin and my bones. You know how like
0: we kind of say like I feel my skin is crawling. I feel like something's like kind of crawling around in my head. He kind of describes it like that. He says, I, I can't rest. So the Prophet ﷺ said, مَا what, what can I do for you? To ease you? To comfort you? He said مَغْفِرَةُ All I need is the forgiveness of my Lord. That's all I need.
1: So then Jibreel ﷺ comes down and he says, O Muhammad, uh, your Lord has uh, sent his salam. Right? Your Lord has sent his salam and he sent it to his servant SubhanAllah. And he says that this servant, The
0: whole earth. Mm. So Jibreel salam said that Allah is saying that this servant of mine, ثَعْلَبَ mm. If he, with his kind of sincerity, Allah. with his kind of genuineness, with, his, with this kind of like fervor, sincerity that he has, if he came to me Within the entire earth full of sins, with so many sins that it could fill the earth, biqurabiha بقرابي I would meet him with even more forgiveness. He could bring the whole world full of sins to me, and I would still forgive him. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, dalika." He said to Jibreel, Can I tell him this? Jibreel, the angel Gabriel says, But I Rasulullah, of course. فَأَعْلَمَهُ رسول الله بِذَلِكَ The Prophet told him, He said, Habibi, Jibreel is here. And Allah is saying, Salam to you. And Allah is saying that if this servant of mine came to me with the whole earth full of sins, I would still forgive him in one instance. When the heard this, He let out a scream and his breath just left his body and he died on the spot. The Prophet ﷺ said, Go, prepare your brother's janazah and pray on him.
1: And
0: as they were going to the graveyard to al baqiya Jannatul to bury him, the Prophet started walking on his toes. Like we say toes. like tippy toes. Mm-hmm. Right? فَقَالُوا اللَّهُ تَمْشِي عَلَى Why are you walking like this? فَقَالَ بَعَثَنِي بِالْحَقِّ مَا قَدِرْتُ أَنْ أَضَعَ رِجْلِي عَلَى الْأَرْضِ مِنْ كَثْرَةِ أَجْنِحَةٍ مِنْ أَجْنِحَةِ مَنْ نَزَلَ مِنَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ He says that I swear by the one who sent me with the truth and as a prophet that I could not put my foot flat on the earth because of how many angels came down to the earth and spread their wings on the ground out of honor for Thalibah. Allahu Akbar. This is the tawbah and the repentance of Tha'laba. And this is his story. So.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, just looking at this narration here, So it's, I mean, the, the, the obvious lesson that sticks out is that there is no sin. Ibn Ta'ala says this very beautifully when he says that, there's no such thing as a small sin when you think about Allah's justice. And so the reality is that Tha'laba was on that side of the scale. When he was thinking about the justice of Allah subhanahu wa he became very, you know very self-aware very concerned to the point where he couldn't feel like he could even coexist you know in the same city as the prophet so he left so that's one level the second level now is subhanallah that every time that a person feels that way it seems to be the case in the Quran the hadith that Allah SWT responds with even more mercy than the person could have imagined which is why Ibn Ta'ala says you know that la kabirata idha uh, you know fadluhu, that there's no such thing as a great sin when you meet Allah Taala's fadl, when you meet his favor. So whatever sin Ta'ala thought was going to take him to hellfire, uh, that sin just set up a foundation for his repentance that in fact, you know, gave him this salvation that he was so desperately looking for. Um, the other thing that I that I thought was very interesting, subhanAllah, throughout this whole story, and then Shaykh I'll let you conclude, is that you see the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, in my in, in the text I'm using it didn't have that part but in the text that Sheikh was using in his narration it said that the Prophet even shed tears when he saw the state that Ta'laba was in because in another book that I was reading same story was shared was that Ta'laba basically was gone for forty days And I want you to imagine kinda of like how bad he looked you know like not you know, not shaving not taking care of himself whatever not cleaning not grooming because he's so preoccupied with his mistake and you know maybe time is just flying by or it's going super slow who knows And he's just so unaware. And so I want you to imagine like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam seeing Tha'la leave in one state as a young man. And then when he sees him coming back, you know, his heart is just wrenching uh, at the state of seeing what the sin can do to somebody. And how even though a person can become very weighty upon themselves when they commit sins, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's job, you know, 999 times out of a thousand even more was to remind people of the mercy of Allah not to remind them of the destruction of their sins that was his job he took that very very seriously very personally that if somebody was convinced that their sin was going to destroy them the Prophet made it clear to them that no your sin will not destroy you so long as you come back to Allah you do have narrations, of course where the Prophet reminds people of the seriousness of what they're doing but they're so outweighed by the opposite they're so outweighed by the contrasting types of narrations and so it's important for us now to learn from this kind of story and to say, you know, who are we in these scenarios? You know, are we the Prophet Wasallam and his character where you're constantly calling people back, constantly reminding people that you don't have to lock yourself out? Or are we going to be like, you know, in some cases we take on the, the position of like a thalaba type advocate which tells people, yeah, you're done. You know, you've messed up. And we've gone over this point many times throughout these last ten nights but this story really succinctly summarizes it which is that you can never go wrong being too merciful like never you can definitely go wrong being too harsh right so when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam here you know is calling out to Thalaba, is reminding him, is telling him you know this is, Allah will forgive you, Allah will forgive you Thalaba just doesn't seem to, it doesn't click with him right, it's still difficult for him to swallow so then, finally, the Prophet says, says, "Matashdehi, like what? What do you? What? What can I do for you? What would you like?" And Tha'laba just says it. All that I want at this point is just the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I just want His forgiveness. And look, Allah Taala goes so far as to send Jibril ﷺ down to deliver the news himself to tell Muhammad our Messenger, that this man has been forgiven. Not just, oh, he's been forgiven, but if he were to bring the entire earth full of sins, Allah would match it with forgiveness. So. This story, of course, is a motivation, such an inspiration for us on two folds. Number one, no sin that you commit is ever going to outdo the mercy of Allah. Number two, make sure that you become a lantern of rahmah for people. Make sure that you do that. Because the opposite, being a person that is known to kick people while they're down, is not a prophetic trait. In fact, it's closer to shaitan than it is to any of the believers. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us far away from that. I mean, Shaykh, anything? I <clears> anything <throat>
0: For me, this story of the really represents sincerity, right? That, as Ustad mentioned, um, and, you know, the Qur'an talks about this as well, right? That there are verses in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about creating the heavens and the earth, and then He talks about creating people. And an interesting analogy that Allah uses is, as Allah says, just how different parts of the earth have different characteristics, different features, different natures. Similarly, human beings have different natures, different features. Taba'i'uhum Right, uh, the verse in the Quran where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about how some places of the earth are very, very different. Then similarly, people are different. And their, their natures and their tendencies vary. So, as Ustaz just mentioned, there's going to be people who will grasp the mercy of Allah very well. Their nature, By nature, their nature is inclined towards the mercy of Allah. Right? Not that they take advantage of it. No, no, no. But they're just very naturally inclined towards the mercy of Allah. So they will commit a sin, or like if they commit a sin, they will grasp, they will understand that I did wrong. And they will repent. But they're very, you know, comfortable. They're very motivated. They're very, um, you know, uh, if you will, they're very comfortable with repentance. Right? That's just their nature. And we see companions of the prophets, lot of that are like that. Right? We see companions of the Prophet some that are like that. Then there will be people where the smallest thing will just weigh them down very heavily. It's a different kind of nature. And that's the story that we're seeing here with Thalaba. Right? We see that story here with Thalaba. That he's just weighed down so heavily. But the thing that is consistent with all of these examples, right, is the sincerity. The sincerity is the key. Right? Again, I don't want to talk about like very severe mistakes made by the companions of the Prophet Allah, because it's not you know appropriate if it's not necessary. We should honor the companions of the Prophet. Muhammadur Rasulullahi wa ladina ma'ahu. Right? Allah vouches for them in the Qur'an. The Prophet said, Allah, Allah, fi ashabi, da tath- da min ba'di. Oh Allah, these are my companions. Do not allow people to target them and criticize them after I'm gone. So he loved the companions. And Allah Allah praised the companions in the Qur'an. So we should honor them, but I won't mention the name, because if there's, we're studying history, it's different, I won't mention the name. But a sahabi, was once responsible for, in a misunderstanding, severe misunderstanding, but he was responsible for killing some prisoners of war. That there was there was a battle going on, they were rounding up people, so it was a tense situation. Some of the people that they rounded up, actually accepted Islam. And this huge misunderstanding ensues and a skirmish breaks out like a brawl occurs and some of those prisoners who had become Muslim were killed. That's a terrible tragedy. When the Prophet was told about it he looked like baffled. What? He was stunned. He stood up. He turned around and faced the Qibla. And he put his arms up like this in dua. And he said, Allahumma inni bari'un min sun'i fulan. And he said, Oh Allah, I have nothing to do with what he just did. Oh Allah, I have nothing to do with what he just did. But that Sahabi was forgiven for his mistake. That Sahabi, he repented immediately. And he was told, Allah has forgiven you. But it's like repentance, Just he was very comfortable with it. Do you understand what I'm describing? And he continued on. He repented, his repentance was accepted, and he carried on. Like it didn't weigh him down. That's a type. And here we're learning about a different type. That this man just cannot continue living his life. He's broken by the sin he's committed. But the common thread between the two of them is sincerity. That's what Allah asks for us. Right, that's what Allah has asked of us. mukhlisin لَهُ الدين. Right, to be sincere. And so, as long as, you know, regardless of what sins we've committed, what wrongs we've done, you know, whether saying, you know, Allah, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That comes easily or it's just something that's gonna take you some time to work through. As long as we can just find a way to be sincere. It can come from the heart. Whether it's a few words, or it's gonna be some sleepless nights. Whatever it's gonna be. But it's gotta come from the heart. And if it comes from the heart, then there is forgiveness that awaits us at the end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive all of our sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us sincerity and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the tawabin. Ameen ya rabbul alamin those who repent. Jazakumullahu khairan everyone. Uh, barakallahu fikum. Thank you very very much. Alhamdulillah. Um,
1: Question, the question is: uh, Is there one type of like repenter that's better than the other? Uh, everyone, uh, one way that I like to think about this when we when we talk about like repentance and istighfar and you know is there, there's a there's a few narrations that you can use as precedents to understand sort of like a paradigm shift. One of the narrations is that the person who recites Quran fluently gets a reward, but the person who struggles reciting Quran they get. Half? Double, Double, right? Okay, good. Let's make sure you guys are all awake. So the person who struggles to recite the Qur'an gets double the reward. Some scholars have talked about, well, okay, I think the ones who recited fluently were like, that's not fair. So the double here means double what they would have gotten, not double the one who recites fluently because that's not fair. But the way that I've always understood it and the way that Sheikh has always taught me and taught us here at the seminary is to understand that everyone's graded independently. So there's really no, like, comparative tawbah, right? All the comparisons that are presented are not comparisons relative of each other. They're comparisons for us to kind of figure out which, like, which stereotype or archetype we fit into. So some people, you know, the Prophet ﷺ said this. He said that, you know, Omar was more like Musa, ﷺ, right, in his disposition. Mm. And Abu Bakr was more like? The narration, anyone? Isa, right? So he 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 made personality comparisons. He didn't say Isa or Musa is better. He didn't say, Oh, you know what, Isa was a miraculous child, so Abu Bakr has plus one here. All right. Musa, you know, uh he was, was the downfall of Fir'aun, so he had plus one. It was just for people to be able to figure out where they fit. So whenever you hear a comparison about Tawbah like what Sheikh described, it's not necessarily to try to figure out which one's higher in quality, it's just giving us different pathways, right? Well ladina, Right? Allah Ta'ala says those who strive for us, then what? Allah Ta'ala says that we will show them or guide them to our path. So figure out which path to Allah you are probably most effective on and go on that. Some people, if they are hyper self-forgiving, they need a little bit of doom and gloom. Mm. Right? Sometimes you need the fire and brimstone. If you're someone that kind of like tends to forgive yourself very easily, you need the fire and brimstone, right? If you can't watch what you're eating, you need my fitness pal. Okay? Some people, if they're too much fire and brimstone, they need the constant reminder of, hey, that's not the way Allah operates. Okay? And in reality, if I'm gonna be honest with you, the heart vacillates between the two. Like, you'll go back and forth depending on time of life, how old you are, situation. Like, you will feel either very comfortable with something or very down. It's just a reality. So you have to know, as Imam al-Ghazali said and Ibn al-Qayyim and others, that the heart of the believer, like the bird, has two wings. One is hope, one is fear. You have to know how to navigate with both. And he said that the head of that bird is love of Allah. So knowing how to navigate. Sometimes you have to turn left, sometimes you have to turn right. So you have to understand which one of those characteristics to utilize. Allah knows best. Yadi, yeah, Ali, what's up?
0: So the question is that there seems to be this common trend or theme in a lot of the stories of repentance, forgiveness, about somebody leaving, somebody moving, somebody going somewhere else, right? Like the famous story about the man who killed all those people, he was advised to move, to migrate. Um, and yes, that is something that is talked about in a hadith of Bukhari by the Prophet ﷺ, where the Prophet ﷺ says that, you know, a type of hijrah, Right? It refers to it as hijrah is someone who migrates away, who abandons, who leaves sin. And so this kind of spiritual the Prophet was highlighting the kind of correlation, the connection there between spiritual and physical hijrah. Now, to clarify, there's no mandatory hijrah, la hijrah to bad al right? From the time of the migration of the Prophet to Medina, from that time until Fajr makkah Mecca, the conquest of Mecca for eight years of Islamic history, anyone who became Muslim in Mecca, as long as they could manage it, they were required, they were mandated to leave Makkah and go to Medina. But once the conquest of Mecca happened, once Makkah entered into the fold of Islam, that obligation was removed. That obligation was taken away from them. So, and what remained though was the idea, the concept of this migration as a tool, as a vehicle of spiritual growth. And so the Prophet ﷺ did, in a narration, connect the two of us, two of those things together, saying that sometimes you fit you hajjid fil ardi Right? Um, that in another place in the Quran where they say, the Quran talks about it that some people will show up on the day of judgment, they'll say, Oh Allah, where I lived, it was tough. It was tough. And subhanAllah will say, Was my earth not vast that you would go where it would be more practical and easier for you to do what you needed to do? Another place Allah You know, comforts the person who has to make that kind of sacrifice and says that whoever moves around for Allah in the earth, they go somewhere for the sake of their deen, their religion, their spirituality, right? Like they move closer to the masjid, as an example, right? They will find a lot of the blessings of Allah. Allah will take care of them. But then the Prophet correlates this to the spiritual hijrah, saying, but this physical movement. Is vanity if not accompanied by an internal migration away from your own shortcomings and sins? Right? So the physical movement is actually meant to inspire and represent an internal movement, if that makes sense.
1: I don't want to ruin it for everybody. Uh, so, the question is about al Qadr. If we know the signs of al Qadr, then how do we, you know, it's been so many years, right? And we know it's in the last 10 nights. You know, surely there's been documentation of all these signs. You know, it's, it's cool evening breeze. There's some moisture, some rain, some precipitation. There's some, you know, a dew in the morning, a rayless sunrise. You know, surely there's been, now some, some, some companions had opinions on which day was which. You know, everyone seems to favor heavily the 27th, but there's a lot of notable companions that thought it was the 23rd, 25th. Some scholars even said that it could be changing every year. Some scholars even went so far as to say that, and this is a weaker opinion because it doesn't really fit with the rest of it, but that it could be regionally different which is weaker because then again, it'd be kind of unique, right? But the, the point is that the, the understanding of the tradition on the al Qadr was that it is elusive by design, right? Intentionally supposed to be something that is not traceable. And even if you look, for example, like multiple signs that are there, signs are not definitive, right? They're all dhani, they're all speculative. So no one can say like, oh, tonight was definitely the temperature Allah revealed that it was 68 degrees on Qadr, and like today was 68, you know, they're all they're all speculative, they're all interpreted. So all that is to say is that these signs are just meant to be like good omens, mm-hmm. kind of like you're supposed to wake up and say, okay, inshallah was it. But I hate, I hate when people are like on the 21st or like it was last night for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: because it's like, well, now you just literally drain the motivation for the last nine nights for everybody. You know, and so i 'm a big fan of just like if you think it was it, just keep it to yourself. I personally have a feeling internally about which night I think it is because for like the last ten years that I can remember it's always felt like that same night, and it's not the twenty seventh so <laughs> that 's just me but i don't- i don't announce or pronounce this, and i don't think friends should either because again, the whole purpose is that to just finish strong right and by by trying to proclaim. A sign is there, or this and that, or posting pictures of the sun the next morning and all that. It's just, it's just, it's like, it's like comical, but we we need to really think about the disservice we're doing to people, right? We don't want people to kind of phone it in because someone told me for sure they're either going to lose hope or they're going to feel like, oh, I did enough Mm -hmm. when they, when they have, you know, nine or, you know, seven or however many nights left. So the answer to your question is that knows best, the scholars have interpreted this different ways. Uh, it seems to be that it could be changing, it seems to be that it could be the same, Allah knows, but the whole point is that we're never going to know for certain, that's the entire point. If the Prophet Sallallahu could not know for certain, right, after it was caused for him to forget, then there's zero chance of us figuring it out. Allah knows best.
0: Very good. Um, so the question is that to what extent does the Toba have to be very explicit, like detailed, itemized, if you will, right? Um, and so, generally speaking, that's where the categorization of sin that we find even in the Qur'an, al-kabair, right? It mentions kabair, many ahadith of the authentic narrations from the Prophet also mentioned kabair. Right, ummati li li'ahl kabair min shafa'ati li ahl kabair min etc. Um, so there is this categorization of kabair and saqeer, okay, which translates to major and minor. However, it's you have to handle that categorization a little bit delicately because even Abdullah bin Abbas, radiAllahu the famous companion of the Prophet sallallahu he said that even a minor sin, quote-unquote, but if it's done with a kind of bullishness, right, the person is very just kind of bullish and belligerent, um, then it becomes a major sin, because of the attitude behind it. Right, so, and I think Ibn Ataillah kind of talks about something like that too, right? Major, minor sins? Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember something to that effect. But anyways, so it is, there is this categorization, it's found in the hadith, so it's there, um, and some of the major sins are like the ones that, in the verses of the Quran, wherever wherever Allah invokes a mention of hellfire, or Allah talks about adabun aleem adabun aladim, punishment, or thirdly, there is an actual um, legal kind of like a consequence for it in the Sharia, like theft and murder, etc., etc. Right? So those are generally the classified as major sins. Now to answer the question, um, so minor sins are forgiven through the general repentance. Like even doing performing the good deeds where like the Prophet ﷺ says, you know, Ramadan, Ramadan, Iman whoever fasts a whole Ramadan or prays every night in Ramadan, all their sins are forgiven. That kind of general forgiveness encompasses minor sins. Major sins require that kind of explicit, specific tawbah, where you mention the sin and you acknowledge the sin and you own your mistake. And subsequently, if there is any kind of penance to be paid, if there is a kafara, there is some kind of expiation, penance, penalty attached to that, then you follow through with that. So that's where that categorization comes in handy.
1: I kind of have a quick question going off of hers. So, of course, one of the foundations of toba is that you have to have the sincerity. How do you know that the level of sincerity you have when you make toba is sufficient enough to stop
0: there or to Mm.
1: continue repenting for that
0: sin? Very good. Um, The question is that if, you know, when we talk about sincerity in repentance... Um, how do we kind of gauge that? Like, okay, it's sufficient now, or do you just kind of keep going? Um, we don't have like an exact answer on that. At some level, it's kind of left up to the person, and that's why there were some sahaba, Umar bin al Khattab radiallahu ta'ala who says that he got a little bit kind of um he got frustrated once and he kind of raised his voice in the presence of the Prophet. And he said, ma, ma azalu, La La Azalu, Asumu wa atasadaku li alidambi. Right? He said, I kept on fasting throughout the rest of my life, optional fasting, and I kept on giving sadaqah to make up for the moment when I raised my voice in the presence of the Prophet. So there is an example of that. This is Umar bin al-Khattab. Right? The Prophet said, I saw your palace in paradise. Confirmed. Right? But he did that because he kind of felt like I just need to do that for myself. As long as it doesn't become debilitating. But at the same time, we also do see that the Prophet. Right? Like, we, we read the story earlier. We went over this story earlier where he said, <inaudible> Right? Like, don't you understand what Allah said? Allah forgave you. What's that? Abu <inaudible> kunta. Right? Like, so there's also that emphasis from the Prophet that, and Wallahu ta'ala, but what some of the scholars kind of write is the differentiation is if it becomes debilitating or not. If you can, as, as long as you can continue to remain functional, then that's fine. It's just inspiring you to do more good, but if it starts getting in the way of you just being functional as a person, then that's the point where you have to kind of understand. This is more of my own kind of personal issue, um, and this is my lack of understanding of the mercy of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala.
1: Also, you know the Hadith that "Nadham," right? "Nadama," like regret is Toba. So a person needs to like feel the regret that's the key if they don't feel regret but they say astaghfirullah then it, it, you know, it's curious right <laughs> at, at, at best and it's horrible at worst so there needs to be some, uh, some semblance of regret okay now again no one can tell you if your regret is qualified or not but it's important to know you know and I'm sorry Shaykh, I don't mean to speak in, you no, know, in no, front of you in no, front no. of your answer but I feel like when you know this is something you taught us a long time ago which is just you can't really quantify it you have to just know how you're feeling okay so if, if a person misses Fajr consistently and, th- and then they just, it's just sort of like whatever at some point. You know, you could ask Allah to forgive you, but like have you thought about the weightiness of all the prayers that were missed? Like there's that regret, right? It has to be there. So in a way, you almost have to invoke that regret in order for the Tawbah to be really strong. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have that feeling, inshallah, not be desensitized. We'll go ahead and wrap up, inshallah. Oh, we have one more question, and then we'll wrap up, inshallah. Which one? Okay. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead.
0: So there's an ayah of the Quran. So the question is that if we repent, part of repentance is you kind of make a kind of make a commitment that you will not come back to that sin. Allah uh, Allah Right? That's the intent. You're not going to go back to it. But then you do find yourself in that place again. Then you gotta repent again. But then how do you kind of square that? Right? So there's a verse in the Quran about it. عَنِ The right? Mufassilun explained what that means is that He, Allah, is the one who continues to accept your repentance and He continues to remove your sins even though He knows what you're gonna do tomorrow. That you're gonna mess up again. And you're gonna end up here repenting again. And that's why I said that the key part of it is sincerity. If you can be sincere, you can be heartfelt, you can be well-intentioned, then inshallah, um, the hope is, and that's what the Qur'an tells us, that you'll be forgiven regardless. And last, last question, shall.
1: So uh, if you hurt someone in the past, or people in the past, or you mistreated people in the past, and uh, you have since repented for those, uh, but the people you hurt have either chosen not to forgive you, mm-hmm. if, you know, when you've approached them, or if it's just been so
0: long, or... Are you still held accountable for that on the Day of Judgment if you know, they choose not to forgive you or those interactions are too remote? So the question is that if you wrong someone, you repented for that, you apologize, you try to make it up, and to just stick with one scenario, the person chooses not to forgive you for that. So what happens there? right? So we talked about this on one of the earlier nights, that... There's a narration about that that the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa taala is so profound, so remarkable, so great, that Allah will compensate that person in the hereafter, like with paradise, in exchange of the wrong you did to them, because you are sincere, right? You're repenting sincerely. You are asking that person for forgiveness sincerely. You're asking Allah sincerely. Allah will recognize your sincerity. will will reward that person, compensate that person, so that that person is satisfied. And Allah will forgive you at the same time. So Allah will intercede on your behalf and take care of the situation, because that is the power of sincerity, niyatul Mu'min min that the sincerity of the heart of the believer is more powerful than any action the believer can do, because your sincerity can get Allah on your side, and then you know the mercy of Allah in the rahmati kulla shay, God's mercy encompasses everything. So that's something you could never do. But your sincerity can get you there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all sincerity. Ameen, (laughs) ya (laughs) Rabbil Alameen. Allah khairan everyone. Barakallah fikum. Thank you very, very much for coming and attending all the programs. We're very happy to welcome y'all here. you know, inshallah, we are going to be having, um, you know, Salat al isha and Salat al-Taraweeh and uh, the nightly programs and the Qiyam uh, prayers that we have here every night that's going to continue on tomorrow and day after, etc. Uh, so inshallah, please keep coming through and joining us. Uh, special note is that Friday night, uh, we're going to be having the annual big Qalam Qiyam program that we have, where you'll get to hear from all the different instructors at Qalam, and it'll be a nice big night long program, inshallah. So, we kept it on the 29th night, uh, also because it's a Friday night and it'll be easier for people to spend the whole night, inshallah, here in the program. So, inshallah, we look forward to that. Alaikum warahmatullahi If anyone
1: needs a note for work tomorrow, they're handing them- I'm j-